0: Welcome back to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast, a new podcast uh, that is part of the ministry of Tactical Faith. Uh, we encourage you to go check out our website, tacticalfaith.com. Um, here today, we're going to be uh, following up on our last podcast where we talked about Descartes, the, kind of the quest for certainty, and why it sort of falters, but also the dangers of rejecting certainty altogether. And Our our central idea here has to do with what is the relationship between faith and reason? What is the relationship between Christianity and philosophy? And what do we do with these ideas um, of certainty and so on and so forth? Now, Descartes was some time ago. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking, uh, really, Joel is going to be talking mainly about the contemporary issue or a much more contemporary issue of logical positivism, which I think still remains with us a little bit today. Um, But in any case, this is uh this is Travis. This is Joel. And uh here we go. Let's see what we can go here. So Joel, um, we ended with Descartes. Uh his idea of certainty, his uh he grounds uh error, uh human error in out, outrunning our our epistemological capacities and so on and so forth. But he believed that he was able to get down to this ground of, I think, therefore I am. And from that, he was able to prove God's existence, existence of the material world, and so on and so forth. But he was able to ground it all in certainty. And that seems like an admirable goal, if not a very difficult feat to actually accomplish. But a lot of time passed between, t- passes between Descartes and what we're going to be talking about today, right. um, several hundred years. Um, today we're going to be talking about logical positivism and a response to logical positivism by a man named WVO Quine. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why are we justifying this this big leap in time? Uh, what do they have in common with Descartes, where do they come from, and so on and so forth?
1: So, post Descartes, the, the quest for certainty was never really abandoned the everyone was looking for something to be certain of, uh, to, to give knowledge, um, whether that ended up being some sort of, um, some sort of empirical sense or some sort of idealistic sense or some, I mean, philosophers went back and forth, but the whole time, everyone was still searching for certainty. Um, sort of the most, uh, contemporary big idea school of thought um, that is still lo- looking for certainty is, is logical positivism, and um, the logical positivists I, I like to say are based on a bad reading of Wittgenstein's Tractatus. Now we'll we'll talk more about Wittgenstein about Ludwig Wittgenstein another time. Uh, he's one of my favorite philosophers, and um, you know I, if I'm I, I actually told Travis to. If I'm going to be on this podcast, we have to talk about Wittgenstein. Um, I so <laughs> so um, the po- logical positivists um, misread Wittgenstein's Tractatus, and they they took the idea that um, what we can can know is all of, is uh, it has to come from the um, our experience of the world. Um. It has to be something that can be verified, and if we can't verify it, then really it's meaningless. So um, particularly, uh, famously, like ethics is something that they say is meaningless because we can't verify ethical truths, uh, at least if it's our experience of the world. So um, in in Language, Truth, and Logic, A.J. Eyre gives probably the clearest expression of logical positivism. And when he's talking about ethics, to make clear what he's, he thinks ethics is, he says ethics comes down to basically when, when we say murder is bad, we're saying murder, boo. Um, and uh, when I've taught this, I've, I, I you know we, we go through – when we've gone through this book and I ask my students, I'm like, are you okay with this? And of course, they're not, at least thankfully, they, they, they're they not. Um, right. <laughs> but when I say, well, how do we get around this? Uh, it becomes more difficult. So let, let me say more about logical positivism before we get into a response to logical positivism. Um, so logical positivists, one way to think of it is, that they said is everything that has meaning can be broken down into analytical statements or statements that could use logic to solve problems. So everything is, um, if you've taken any kind of logic uh, in, in your schooling, particularly some kind of symbolic logic, everything can be analyzed in those terms. Uh, So we take these basic statements from our experience in the world. We put them together with, ands or ors or uh if thens um if and only if all all these different ways of of connecting these these statements and then we can analyze them based on the truth or falsity of those statements
0: okay so let me let me let me ask you a quick question so okay uh, <clears throat> I, there's probably i don't know how many people are going to be familiar with symbolic logic but symbolic logic is almost like the turning into equations of language and so you have mm-hmm. you have these operators you might say if then and or not the, these sorts of terms that then uh, connect terms or connect two terms and these terms have to have some sort of re- in logical positivism each term would have to have a reference to something in the physical world that can be verified, right? So there the meaning is the meaning is what what is recognized in the world. So if I'm making reference to some sort of object or some you know the color of a car or something, then uh, you know it needs to actually have a car there that has a color or something. I can't talk about um, how the, how the car feels because we don't have any way to understand whether the car feels anything. That's, I'm actually talking nonsense. And then they're tied together with, with these operators and, or whatever. And then you can get the truth or falsity of statements And every statement. Every statement that has meaning can come down to either being true or false. Right. Or maybe at present, unverified but in theory verifiable i suppose
1: yeah yeah i mean we could say that um you know under the you know three feet under the the surface of the uh planetoid pluto um that uh you'll find a flowing river of of uh, chocolate syrup and while we can't Get out there and dig three feet for ourselves to verify one way or the other. It is something that we could that could be verified given the right set of circumstances. So that is a statement that is meaningful for the logical positivists. Right. Okay.
0: So carry on.
1: (laughs) So, so with these with logical positivists, they're trying to make everything straightforward. That that's their goal. They want to be. have certainty they want to be able to um to be to be clear um because if if and, and and for it to not be able to be really argued about um it's either true or false that the car is green uh there's no uh, there's no questionable um it's not questionable if, if it's if the car is green um
0: well let me throw let me throw another one at you then God is holy. Okay. How would a logical positive... So you've talked about meaninglessness. Uh, how would you evaluate the term if I, if I were to declare God is holy or God is love or something like that?
1: So logical positivists would, would ask, what do you mean by God? Or what do you think you mean by God, <laughs> by the term God?
0: Right.
1: And the minute that anything immaterial about god was admitted to be the case they would say well that then you're talking nonsense right
0: and by nonsense we don't mean you're you're saying something false the logical positivist would say not say when you say god is holy you're, you're making a false statement what they would say is you're not saying anything at all right um you're you're just you're just making grunts and moans that have no maybe they 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 echo some sort of emotion that you have right Um, And so when I say God is holy, maybe what I mean is I have this emotion that I am not all I could be or something like that, right? And so I'm judging myself, and so I reference God being holy. Or If I say God is love, I have this warm feeling toward my neighbors or something like that. Um, But it doesn't reference any kind of metaphysical claim by any means Um, uh, that there is, in fact, a God. Because unless you can physically measure him or weigh him or somehow – measure him the term actually doesn't refer to anything right Right.
1: okay i mean it it it's it's akin to my uh my my five-month-old daughter making you know making her noises that she makes right um as far you know it it does it mean something to her? Maybe. But to those of us who understand language, it doesn't mean anything. And that's what the logical positivists would say about it. And you talk about, about God is that it it may mean something to the people, that people may think it means something when they say it, but it has no meaning to those of us who understand the, the reality of the world.
0: Right. And this is, this is kind of important because clarity of language being really clear what we mean. There's, there's been, there's been a clash between faith and science in part because science reflects these, this honoring of clarity, honoring of measurability, whereas it seems like a lot of religious talk, it really is sort of like, there's no way to verify it. There's no way to really even understand what people are talking about sometimes, right? So you can get some sort of, and I don't mean that as a total criticism of Christianity, obviously, uh, but I do, I do mean it for a lot of times we're not, we're not entirely clear about what we mean. In fact, there's a lot of times I've sat in church and I've heard people talk, and I'm, I mean, I just I generally just respond and this I make a nuisance of myself. I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and so, um, it's not saying that they're false. I'm not being a logical positive but there there isn't a the, the 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 call to clarity seems really important. I think this is why a lot of people are drawn to science because it 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 supports these kind of values. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here. That it supports these kind of values of clarity uh, of terms, measurability, so on and so forth. Whereas it seems like a lot of language about religion is sort of like emotional—I uh, don't know—emotion, just spewing emotion or something. Um, and so this is kind of what we want to deal with too. This is what we're trying to work ourselves to. Well, what does it mean to talk about Christianity? How do we do it? So on and so forth. And how does it relate to these commands or, or these these demands, I should say, of clarity? Uh, of measurable measurability are these good demands are they reasonable uh so on and so forth
1: and uh, when we w- w- in a future podcast as I said we'll revisit Wittgenstein and uh, I think Wittgenstein gives us some really good insights into helping us answer some of these questions mm-hmm. like I said these logical positivists took a misreading of Wittgenstein and they focused on all of these um this idea of truth or of meaningfulness requiring uh, clarity, requiring certainty, requiring verifiability uh, in order for it to, to, to mean something. Um, And uh, one of the big ideas that they, they use is this distinction between an analytic truth and a synthetic truth. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about this idea of, an analytic truth we're kind of drawing from uh going back to Kant about you know 100, 100 to 150 years before the logical positivists. but it's the idea that the statement is true because the meanings of the terms uh, or because of the meanings of the terms are independent of any facts um so that an analytic truth would be something like uh all bachelors are unmarried males um we know the what that statement means because we, when we say uh, unmarried male, we mean bachelor. So really, all we're saying is all bachelors are bachelors. Um, but that's an analytic truth, and and then we we take that we we con or uh, the positivists and, and not just positivists but many philosophers contrast that with the idea of a synthetic truth, and that's something that. Um, a synthetic truth is something that we we come to learn uh, usually through our senses, but it's something that isn't true just by definition, and we need to make this distinction uh, in order to get the the positivist um, the the positive program uh, off 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 the ground because. We need those. We need to, to be able to distinguish between uh, claims that are verifiable, these synthetic claims, which are these synthetic claims, and then the analytic claims, which you know are just a matter of definition. So if I said something like "all bachelors are married females," you would come back to me and say, "No, no. The the definition of bachelor is married, is an unmarried male, and so you, you, what you're saying is is wrong." And um, you wouldn't have to go out in the world and show me a, an unmarried male in order to prove me wrong. Um, synthetic ones are, are ones that, that can be verified.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. So, and so synthetic, one of the elements of synthetic is that it adds to our knowledge. Like analytic right. truths, you simply need to have a dictionary, uh, synthetic truth and, and you know, all the analytic truths, a synthetic truth is something that you learn by going out and doing, doing the study. So, I have, a, I have a gray van, right? That's not, by definition, there's no definition that says that Travis has a gray van. You have to learn that through some sort of empirical research. I mean, this is pretty right. simple research, but um, some sort of, and so that would be a synthetic truth. So I think that's that, that um, distinction. I think that's that's why if, if they were all analytic truths, there'd be no need for science or any empirical experience. Right. So,
1: right. Another idea that the logical positivists hold is something called reductionism. Now, reductionism is this idea that any meaningful statement can be reduced to to sense data or a collection of of sense data. So, um, you know, we we can take all of our experiences and, um, and put them together, and and that's what gives us meaningful ideas. But um, if it doesn't come from sense data, then it's it's not meaningful. And so, um, again, it, this is a heavy dependency on sense data on our experience, um, because everything can be reduced to that. Um, I I think logical positivists would even go so far to explain our 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 ethics as taking sense data and going further with it than what this sense data actually gives us. So you know we. We think about when something, you know, when when someone we know was hurt, and that ga- made us feel a certain way, which is a kind of weird, in, in a sense, kind of, or we confuse it with our sense data at the at the least. And because we connect it with with that, when we start putting it together, um, it explains why we think murder is bad, or be hurting someone is bad. Um, it can be reduced to, to to explain to pointing back to our experiences. Okay. Uh, there's nothing in and of itself. So, in a lot of ways, this logical positivists, there are some some connections with the with just this this strong draw to to looking for the data, looking for the data, uh, looking for experience, looking for verifiability um and, and we'll draw some contemporary parallels um later but uh W.V.O. Quine pushes back on this and he says hold on guys i i don't think that works now he he wrote a famous article called the two dogmas of empiricism um and he says the two dogmas of empiricism that 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 this logical positivist, positivism rests on are the idea that we can make a meaningful distinction between analytic and synthetic truths, and that reductionism, the idea that everything can be reduced to to sense data, that 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 is is true. And Quine argues neither one of that either neither one of those dogmas is. A, nearly as clear as the logical positivists want to say. Um, now, the article is, is about 25, 30 pages. It's pretty dense. And so I'm going to try and cut to the chase to, to give this, the simplest explanation just so we have um, a foundation to work from um, as far as when we discuss how this work flushes out. So, so Quine says, let's look at that distinction between analytic and synthetic. So, in fact, let's look at this idea of analytic being separate from synthetic. Um, when we talk, when we say all bachelors are unmarried males, how do we know that? And we're going to say, well, well, that's just how it is. Bachelors are unmarried males. And Quine would say, well, how did you know that? And at some point we have to say, well, because every bachelor we've met is an unmarried male, and then Quine says, "Exactly, you're depending on synthetic truth to give you the analytic truth. That, and and, and if it's not, then it, these these analytic truths become meaningless because all we can know has to come from from our experience of the world. So an analytic truth." For it to be true requires experience for us to know that what its meaning actually is. At, at its core, that's that's this is that's Quine's objection to the first thing. So, you know, he gives the example of the morning star and the evening star. Well, those are actually the same star, but how do we know that they're the same star? Well, it's it's our experience. Experience has, and our ability to to measure and verify that has told us, oh, they're actually the same star. Um, and, and at the end of the day, we we can't come to any kind of meaningful, we can't have a meaningful analytic statement that is a statement that has meaning unless we have a synthetic base from which it comes, and so. You, since we can't have an analytic statement without synthetic, to make a distinction between the two isn't very clear. It, it doesn't seem to work as far as at least do if it, if we're going to if it's going to do the work for the logical positivists that they claim it does.
0: Okay, so so what we're getting at is initially the logical positivists had these two two kinds of state two kinds of statements that have meaning. They're the only two kinds of statements that have meaning. Either they have to be analytic. Or they have to be synthetic and these two are are utterly distinct one doesn't give us any new knowledge it is simply definitions of terms the other one gives us new knowledge and it and so that the 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 meaningfulness of the logical of the purely logical analytic statements comes from definitions while the meaning of the synthetic comes from empirical verifiability so how do you right. measure this in the world um And what Quine has started with is saying, look, this distinction between synthetic and analytic is itself synthetic in a bad sense. (laughs) It's fake. It's not, it's not really the case that these two are are actually purely distinct, which means the meaning of analytic terms can't come purely from the logical element.
1: Yeah. And and, I mean, an, an example of this is if you go back 300 years, all swans are white would be would have been considered a an analytic statement. Well, over time, we discovered there are black swans. And so we can no longer say all swans are white, even though at that time we thought that definitionally that was true.
0: Yeah, definition of swan would be a, a large white bird
1: of right. some sort. Right? But then we discovered, oh, that analytic truth wasn't actually true. Through a synthetic... Right. Through a synthetic truth, okay. so Quine points out this idea that we can make a meaningful distinction between analytic and synthetic, such that they, you know, that they don't, that there's not a uh, an interplay, a meaningful interplay between the two, uh, that doesn't work. And then he points to reductionism and to this idea that everything has to come from sense data. And he's, he, he says, well, when you just have a bunch of data, it doesn't tell you anything in and of itself. You you have to order it in a meaningful way. And the way that we tend to uh, to order it is, or that the logical positivists have, have wanted to order it is in terms of, well, we have our analytic and we have our synthetic. But, that doesn't work as we, as he just showed previously. And so the idea that sense data can show us something in and of itself doesn't make sense. We, we need some way to structure that so that we can build our knowledge upon it. Um, but the way that we've, that the positivists have done that with synthetic and analytic distinction, and that's really the the way that most people who make this move, um, of grounding everything on on verifiability, they run into a a similar problem. Um, So because we can't have that clear distinction between analytic and synthetic truths, we can't just say it comes from sense data. Um, So Quine, Quine kind of says, Quine basically says there's more going on than just definitions and experience in the world there's more to our beliefs to our knowledge than that and so he wants to to encourage us to instead of thinking of analytic truths versus synthetic truth he wants us to think of it more like a, a web where everything all of our beliefs are connected to each other so Um, and, and if I change one belief, it's going to affect the other beliefs. I mean, if you think of like a spider web and you take out one strand, it's going to, you know, if it's a minor strand, it's not really going to change the the spider web very much. If it's a major strand, you're going to get a a new shape. Um, things are going to have to adjust. Um, and Klein goes so far to say, you know what, you can actually hold any belief you want to. Um you just have to be willing to change enough other beliefs to make it fit. So one example would be like the world is flat. But think of all the things that you have to reject in order to hold that the world is flat. I don't know if if any of you guys have read any of the flat earth society stuff, but the, there are people who who genuinely believe the earth to be flat or at least they they make a convincing case that they believe that. Um and some of the statements, you know, some of the things that they have to claim are conspiracies, or are just, you know, outright wrong or didn't happen. Um, you, 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 you know, most everyone looks on them and just kind of says that's that's kind of crazy. But if you make all of those concessions that they make, you you see that you can actually hold that view. Mm -hmm. And so Quine says, that's more how our beliefs work. It's not a matter of, we just try and verify everything. And if we can't verify it, it doesn't, or if it's not able to be verified, we, it's meaningless. Quine says, no, it's, it's much more of this web kind of thing where we don't make dramatic changes to our beliefs because when you change a belief, it affects other beliefs, but recognizing that sometimes we're willing to, change beliefs to hold on to a belief that we we think is right um and in fact i think quine would say the logical positivists are holding on to these two dogmas of the analytic synthetic distinction and reductionism (laughs) they're holding on to them in a way that they're willing to change a whole lot of other beliefs to where most people look at it and say why would you give all those things up and, and, and Quine saying, exactly, this is why we should have doubts about the positivists.
0: Okay, so one example of how the positivists were, were willing to give up something rather large that made them shocking is their reference, is their undermining of the meaning of ethical claims, right? Right. right. So <clears throat> murder is wrong is, is, according to the logical positivist web, they've given up one of the major strands in human thought all throughout history. Given up a major strand and declared that no, that actually has no meaning. And then the whole system shifts around. And most people found that too shocking to, to embrace. Right. So that's that's an example. Most of us embrace the idea that uh, that the killing of innocents for no reason is wrong. Or whatever murder, whatever is included in the concept of murder is wrong. And so we're unwilling to embrace we should be unwilling to embrace the rest of logical positivism. Uh, so, so let me ask you this. What, uh, the big takeaway here. So, so the logical positivists kind of fulfilled the – or they, they attempted to, to stay within the project of Descartes. They left rational, the rationalism of Descartes but settled into a kind of empiricism following in the, in the, the lineage of, of David Hume. Um, they, and they made the, the analytic synthetic distinction and reductionism and their goal in doing so is still to hold on to that, that pursuit of, of certainty, of clarity of thought, clear and distinct ideas, we might say. <laughs> and, uh, and, in, and in doing so, uh, they offered us a very reasonable view of the world. I mean, I'm using reasonable maybe in scare quotes here, but a very reasonable view of the world, very, very scientific, very measurable, very controlled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Quine comes along writes two dogmas empiricism. He starts to say, you might be you might meet a married bachelor. And we're like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and he re- rejects reductionism, which we might be cool with, um, and says, actually, it's a web. You can believe almost anything in a certain sort of coherent, stru- like in this right. coherent, cohesive structure. You can believe almost anything. And we might look at him and say, you can't believe. Doesn't that just make truth free floating not truth but belief free floating is there no connection to like is the only choice this reductionism analytic synthetic distinction or a free free floating web have we fallen into postmodernism again it seems like these are always the two that are at war with one another is there a middle ground so uh, that's a lot of questions
1: uh, yes many questions um the the big question at the end does this our choices, you know, this positivism or some sort of um, coherentism that isn't connected to anything. And I, I if, if our goal is certainty, I think it probably is. If 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 our goal is to have certainty at the standard of Descartes, of of of, of you know, logical positivists and everyone in between, then we either get pushed into logical positivism or we get pushed into saying, well, I'm certain based on my web of beliefs, but you might not be certain because you have different beliefs. Um, and, but if, 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 certainty is our goal, then I think that's where we end up. I, I think we have to choose between the two, but I don't think we have to make
0: certainty the, the goal. Okay. So that, that's, that's an interesting point. I mean, that might be an interesting point to end on here um two is the idea that if we are obsessed with perhaps certainty is not what we should be aiming after and if you do aim at certainty you're going to end up either something more like a logical positivist <clears throat> or it's newer versions something like scientism right? right um and a lot of analytic philosophy but say that quietly. <laughs> uh, or um Or you, uh, of course, it's not the same as logical positivism, but it's sort of like the, uh, well, we won't talk about that. So, um, but, uh, or you end up with this kind of free floating, well, it's my truth and your truth, they might be different. And I'm absolutely, the thing is, I'm still containing a kind of certainty. It's just, it's just my world is very small, right? Right. I'm absolutely certain about my world, but my world is just my experiences which is almost, it's kind of a solipsism in solipsism certainty. I mean, it almost falls back into Descartes, except you don't get any other people. Right. right? Um, and so what does it mean to let go of the desire for certainty? And is that the right thing to do for a Christian? Are we, are we able to say, like, are, are we, if we go with Quine, would I say something like, I believe in God, maybe I have a certain level of confidence but I'm not certain. I think
1: confidence is very different than certainty. Um, you know certainty is this is a sense of um, there's just no circumstance in under which it could be wrong that it could be
0: well maybe let me, let me push you on that because I think I don't know if it's necessarily there's no circumstance under which it could be wrong but no circumstance under which I right.
1: Will. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think, I think that's what we're looking for is we, we want to be convinced that we, we are not wrong. We are, we are right. And um, I, I think, you know, I, I think if if we are to uh, understand that, you know, that Christianity is more about, or it's not just more, it, it is about, entering into relationship with, with the triune God, when we talk about relationships, we don't talk about certainty. We talk about confidence or trust, which um, is, is, is a recognition that it's not just dependent on me, that there's more going on than, than either me justifying it to myself so that I feel that I cannot be wrong or me justifying it to everyone else so that we can all feel together that we are, are right.
0: Right. Yeah. And this is, if you think about faith, trust, those are particularly things that are aimed at people, not ideas, but, um, you think, so think about a situation where you're called on to trust someone. Well, you recognize once you put your trust in someone, you become vulnerable, right? right? You're in danger. Um, because this person could turn their back on. They could hurt you. They could call you up on a mountain to kill the child of promise. But faith says that trust allows yourself to be vulnerable. But certainty, certainty re- puts all the pr- protection on me. It's, it's, uh, it's certainty about facts. It's never about people until you prove yourself. Not that anybody can ever prove themselves. But it makes one invulnerable. And perhaps that's the issue. Perhaps certainty is self-centered perhaps we need to let that go somehow. What might that look like? Well, pretty soon we we'll are going to be talking about Michael Polanyi. I don't know if that's the next one we're going to be talking about. Um, uh, though we may look a little bit at Kuhn here before we get to him. I think we'll get a sense of the idea of what it looks like to approach the world with an attitude of trust right. instead of an, instead of a focus on certainty. And perhaps that's something we could take from Quine. The, the search for certainty leads you to uh, all ethical and metaphysical claims are meaningless, or to, I have my truth, you have your truth. If that's the case, maybe the pursuit of certainty needs to be set aside. What might that look like? How might we still do science? Um, But I think that's enough for today. And the next time, uh, we'll get a little bit closer, perhaps, to faith uh, and talking about Polanyi and uh, Kuhn or Esther, like Kat Meek, wherever
1: we happen to go from here
0: thanks for joining us Uh, I'm Travis again
1: I'm Joel have a great day
0: thank you for listening to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast part of the Tactical Faith podcast network please check out our page at tacticalfaith.com for our TF radio podcast blog and news about local events if you'd like to partner with us please pray for us share us with your friends leave comments and consider donating by going to the donate tab on our page if you're interested in having an event in your area in Alabama please let us know I'm not part you.